All right. Um, we are in the, what, what, what do we call it, the, the, the third trimester? Sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, we're, we're into this third phase. Let's do that. Uh, on 90 days of transformation. So we're, we're, we're entering this home stretch of things we've been thinking about, but it's not the home stretch in our lives. We have prepared, we went through the season of Advent, getting ready for Christmas, preparing our hearts and saying, okay, God, what do you want to do in us? We're ready, we're paying attention, and we're available. And then uh, over the last month, we have been through uh, a season of listening. And I invited you to listen to God's voice, and, and some of you have picked up on that so well, and I want to thank you for being so attentive to the words that come through me. If they're great words, they're not mine. They're the Lord's. Uh, and and uh, we had men's breakfast yesterday morning, and the men uh, kind of grabbed hold of a piece of that and how we listen to God and what is God saying to us and, and a word that was brought to us, that the Lord gave us a word to remember through the year that has something to do with where we're at as men. And others of you, maybe in your life groups, you're processing that stuff. Forgive me. You're processing that stuff and listening to God together. And God, what do you have to say to us? And how do you want us to respond to you? And now we're at that season. I want to go across the next threshold and say, okay, if God is saying things to us, it means that things have to change. So you don't talk about transformation just in the philosophical, just the idea of it. That's not good enough for us. We believe, firmly believe, that God is in the business of taking people and transforming them. That is exactly what this meal is about. It's about taking sinners and cleaning them and freeing them and building them into saints. That is the heart of what we're about as a church. And so it means that we've got to do some things if God is speaking to us, if God is at work in us, it's got to have some kind of tangible change in us. And I have to tell you that any time we in the church use the word transformation or transformational ministries or whatever, when we use that word transformation, just tell yourself he's talking about change. Something's not going to be the same anymore. And I know that some of you have been listening, and maybe at the time you didn't even identify it as the voice of God, but as you went on, you were like, I think that's God. I think that's a holy thing. I think it's a, a good thing in my life, and so I need to change and do that. And some of you have embrace that and some maybe have held that back because it's huge and it's intimidating and so we're going to talk about the process today we're also coming up to another season in the the church year that i think is significant and i want to challenge you on before i dive into my message this morning we're going to wrap things up on this 90 days on march the third that's that's day 90 
That's also the jumping off point for us when we switch the seasons of the year in the church and we go into the season of Lent. That's when we start to walk toward Easter. And we go into Lent and it's a time when we are a little bit more sober and reflective and we look at the life of Christ and what he did and how he suffered for us and we respond to that. And one of the ways that the church has historically invited people to respond during the season of Lent is in the form of a fast. And so centuries ago, Christians started saying, you know, when we get to 40 days within Easter, let's just practice some extra self-discipline. Let's just practice a little bit more self-denial. Let's not make life as easy as it's possible. And so maybe, you know, we, we give up some food, maybe a meal a day or a week, maybe a certain type of food or an activity that we find fun. And I want to challenge you because we're going to go through this last 30 days of the 90 days talking about what we leave behind. And some of you might want to use that as a jumping off point to go, okay, I'm going to take that and I'm going to leave it behind. I'm not going to carry that with me into Lent. And, and that might just be for a time, a season. Or it might be that God says, I want you to let that go and, and, I, and you don't ever have to go back to it. You don't ever need to pick it up again. So next week, I'm going to have somebody come up here with me who's in that process. I want them to share a little bit with you about what that looks like and celebrate that. Because we tend to see things in different terms when it comes to leaving things behind. And I'll get to that in a moment. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the whole chapter, I just have to tell you, is this, we often call it the hall of faith. Because... The writer of the Hebrews just goes over and over this list of people from the Old Testament. People who stepped out in faith, followed God when he spoke to them. They did things on faith and it was commended to them as righteousness. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to just focus on these first three verses because here's what I think. I think our faith needs to be exercised as well. And so this is what it looks like when we think about moving into change with God. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. I'm going to stop there for a minute. When God asks us to change and we have to let something go, we rarely see fully what he intends to bring. And that's why it's faith, because we're going we're gonna to let go of this position or these possessions or this place or what I have, and I'm going to move away from that. I'm going to let it go, create space that I believe God wants to fill or use or occupy. And that is where we, we have this hope that God's going to bring something with what we let go. And that is Evidence of things we don't, we don't yet see it. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Again, I'm just going to stop 
So the writer in Hebrews says, okay, you go back to the creation story. And God created heaven and earth and everything on the earth and us included. And he created it out of nothing. He is the only one who can do that. When we get creative and we make something, we're making something out of something. But here's the thing. God has this incredible, unique ability to take empty space and make something in that space. Not just at the time of creating the world, but in your life and my life. If we clear space, God has the ability to do something with that. Nothing that we create, that we offer him. So here's what I want you to think about. We want to create space in our lives for God to occupy. That's, that should be a motivation of every one of us. We want to make some space. We want to clear out of some space and say, God, we want you to come right here. We want you to sit right here with us in our lives. But here's the problem. Most of us don't walk away from God. We don't go, okay, God, that was fun. See you later. In terms of, I don't care anymore. There are a few that do that. But most of us just slowly put a lot of stuff where really God wants to be. We fill our lives with other things. Not necessarily bad, evil, carnal, destructive stuff. Just stuff. And we fill it with stuff and then we leave no space for God. Maybe we fill it with activities and so our schedules are just jam-packed because we got to do everything because the last thing I want is to sit quietly alone for a while. I need to be moving, otherwise I'm just going to go crazy. Maybe it's actual physical stuff because I have this mistaken notion that if I just bring more and more and more stuff into my life, my life will be better. The more I have, the better I am. But generally, as we bring more and more into our lives, we give less and less room to God. That's how it works. So I want to challenge you this morning a little bit to think about this. So I use the visual of that backpack. And so I want you to think about this because we've, we've been on this journey. We've been preparing. We bought the backpack. We, we said we need things like peace and love and hope and joy in our lives. If we're going to follow God, that's what we're preparing for. Those are the things we want him to bring. That's just getting the backpack and the stuff that we're going to put in it. Then listening is when you go, okay, we're going to go on this journey. This is where we're headed. This is... This is who we're going to follow. We're going to listen to his voice. He's going to be the shepherd that goes out in front of the sheep. And we're going to hear the shepherd's voice and recognize that we're going to go. But we're going to have our backpack because we don't go unprepared. The trouble is, if you're like me and Kayleen, when we start preparing for a trip or a journey, is we sit down and um, we tend to make a list and we start thinking about, and, and the way I think is, I've got to think of every possible, every conceivable um, thing that might happen, and I need to somehow prepare for that, and so I need to take all the stuff that I might need. Uh, and so, you know, if our car might break down, I need to take all of our, all of my tools. And if I might get the sniffles or, you know, stomach stuff along the way, I've got to take all my meds. 
And I mean everything in my medicine cabinet. And you know, I, I've got to take way more toiletries than I'm going to use. I'm going to be gone for a week, but I could go for a month with all this stuff. And our tendency is to pack in a whole lot of stuff that is unnecessary, will not be used, and probably will weigh us down along the way. I was, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast recently about traveling around the United States, and and it, it, it wasn't necessarily from a Christian perspective, just a guy who likes to travel and this is what I do. And they were saying, you know, be prepared for things to go wrong. For, be prepared for not being prepared. You know, when you do this kind of travel and you drive around the United States and you go backpacking and you go hiking and things, things are going to happen and you're not ready for them. Chances are they won't kill you. But the things that we are not prepared for will be the things that help us create the most vivid memories. That's what he said. The things that we're not prepared for are the ones that will create the greatest memories. And so he told, he he had a little bit of a thing about his family and they went out into the southwest, into the desert with their RV and they got out there and they couldn't get a place to, to camp and they ended up just out in the desert and they didn't have enough water and so they had to go back and forth into town and all this whole story and he said, we were miserable until we were on our way home. And then the kids in the backseat go, that was awesome, Dad. That was amazing. We lived. We didn't die. And so somehow not being fully prepared, taking care of every exigency, every little thing that might happen, creates space for adventure. Possibilities of how God will do things that we cannot do. Several years ago, I got an email from a mom. And she had heard about the mission trips that I had arranged to Mozambique, the medical mission trips, and, and had a, a daughter who was wanting to go into a healthcare profession. And she emailed me. She said, my daughter heard about this stuff that you're doing, and she's interested. She'd like to go with you because she'd like to go into medicine. And I just want to know where you're going in Africa. Is it safe? Now, I got to tell you, she probably sent the email on the wrong day. Because my response wasn't very nice. And, and I tried to be nicer after that, but I think by then that was too late. But she, she said, is it safe? And... I wrote this email back to her and I said, well, here's, okay, here's the thing. We go to Africa and Africa is dirty, unstable, poor. And when we go to Africa, we go to a remote place. It takes us two days to get there. It's way out there. People don't just end up there by accident from the United States. And when we get there, we're dealing with people who are really sick that have diseases that we can catch. And we take risks. So my answer to you is no, it's not safe. But it's worthwhile. 
it's worth doing. And if you're worried that your daughter is going to get hurt or sick or lost or hungry, do not send your daughter with me. Because we'll, we'll experience all those things. But we'll come home and it'll change her life and she'll go, that was amazing, Mom. She never went. She never went. You see, sometimes we say, Lord, I would love to follow you, but the cost, the risk involved just seems so much, so I'm, I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm going to gather my own stuff over here. I, we heard a story about this in the Gospels when a man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do? And Jesus realizes that this guy's wealthy. He goes, you know what? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, tell your mom and family goodbye. Turn your back on them and come and follow me. Now, the truth of the matter was he probably didn't have to do all those things, but he had to be prepared to do all those things. So I want to remind you of a few things that happened to us when we think about creating space, leaving some things out of our lives, because it's intimidating. So one of the things we experience, first of all, when we think about leaving and putting things aside and making new, clear space for God, is there's always an element of hesitation. God, what you want me to do sounds like it has a great deal of possibility, but I may lose something that means an awful lot to me in the process. And so I hesitate to do that. That story I told about Jesus, you remember what happened? The young man went away sad. He hesitated. And so I, I just know that for some of you, when the Lord has been speaking, and you are probably listening to this saying, Pastor Hink, if you knew what God has been talking to me about, you would know that I need some time to think about this. I need to pray about this. And I want to tell you, hesitation is natural, it's normal, and it needs to be defeated. Somehow we've got to say, I'm not going to let hesitation stop me. When my daughter was learning to drive, and she and I were driving around town, and she finally got behind the wheel, we'd come to an intersection, and here's my ground rule for intersections. And you have to remember, I did not learn to drive in the United States. I learned to drive in one of the worst places in the world to learn to drive. It was on the other side of the road, with the steering wheel on the other side of the car, with people who shouldn't be driving, and there's lots of them all over the place. And so one of the things that I, I said to her over and over and over again was we would come to an, inter, uh, an intersection. I would say to her, now here is one thing people do, and you shouldn't do that. When you start into an intersection, do not hesitate. The longer you stay there, the greater your chances that somebody is going to plow into you. And I think that's, there's something true about that in life. That when we come to a place where God is speaking to us, the longer we sit there and listen about it, the greater the chances are that the devil or family or friends or even our own minds are going to throw something at us that is going to derail us and smack into us. And so when God is speaking, I understand it's natural to go, wait, wait a minute, but don't wait long. Because staying in that place is dangerous. Don't hesitate long. If it's of God, move. So that's the first element of leaving. The second element of leaving is there's always an element of pain. 
There's always an element of pain because we have brought things into our lives with the understanding or with the, the idea that this thing is going to somehow make my life better. Everything you put into your cart at Walmart is something that you're telling yourself, my week will be better because I have it, whether it's bananas or toilet paper. Everything you pack into your schedule, whether it's something at school or something at work or something with friends, you're bringing it in because you think, "Mm, yeah, it'd be a better week if I got to do that. If I get to go to the Super Bowl party tonight, that would be better. And when you create space, when you start leaving things behind, there's, there's a sense of grief. Because I thought that would be really good. And it still might be good. And I'm choosing to walk away from it. I'm choosing to let it go. I'm choosing to let it be something in the past. Now I'm going to start telling you stuff about my family. So this is, yeah, be nice. If my father-in-law comes to visit us here, comes to church as a guest, please don't go up to him and say, oh, I know about you. I know what you did, but I'm going to tell him the story anyway. Uh, because it's too good. <laughs> yeah, she's going to go on Facebook Live so he can see this. That'd be even better. Um, my father-in-law, after my mother-in-law passed away, was in a place of deep grief, a lot of pain. And in that really unhealthy place, about two years, he started holding on to everything he could. I mean everything. Newspapers, stuff in his garage. And I'm telling you what, it was amazing in two years how much stuff you can accumulate when you don't throw anything away. And I love him dearly. And we were grieving with him in that time and we would walk through that with him and and we would say things and he goes, I know, I know I won't need that stuff but I just don't want to let anything go right now. This response of grief, I've, I've had my wife ripped away from me. And I don't even want trash ripped away from me. Things that seem meaningless now, I hold on to them with, with intensity. And I, I'm not sure why. Except I have this pain of having things taken from me. Now I'm thankful because God is good and brought a wonderful lady into his life. And I know that maybe some of you grown children have walked with parents who lost a parent and remarriage can be tough. But I'm telling you, for our family, it was a blessing. And this wonderful lady came in and looked around his home and said, what is going on? And we just smiled and said, go to work. And, and over their courtship and their dating, things started getting cleaned up and worked out and moved out. And it wasn't easy. And there were days. Let me tell you, there were days. And I remember standing in my father-in-law's garage and we looked around and we, we, had, a, we had a couple of paths now that we could go down and look things over. And we were digging things out. And some of that stuff wasn't from two years. It was from like 40 years. And... And we went back and we started looking at stuff. And there was some great stuff there. Oh, my word. Buried under piles. 
we found stuff that were gems. But he knew the garage needed to be emptied. And so we stood there and we looked at these things. Now he's a car guy. And so he collected all kinds of car stuff and parts from classic muscle cars. And we sat there and we looked at this stuff and it was treasure to him. And, and we talked about how much it would be worth. Could we put it on the internet? And you know what he finally decided? He decided to do the best thing in the world. He called his nephews. And he said, hey, you guys come over. And I was there. And he said, let's walk through the garage. And I'm going to point at something. And if somebody wants it, you say yes. And I, I, had, I had the preview. I had been working on the garage. So I waited. But they came through and there was, a, okay, car guys, car people out there. Um, there was a, a, a 350 small block, a 300 horse stock 350 small block with the transmission buried under stuff that had come out of a, I think it was a 68 Impala. And uh, they got to that and one of the nephews goes, I want that. I mean, he was all over that engine and transmission. He had a project he wanted it for. And I could see the look on my father-in-law's face that this was, man, yeah. Okay. But I waited, and we went through, and there were some other things that went, and we got to a shelf, and he started to point. I go, I want it. I mean, I, I jumped the gun. Because up there on top of the shelf, there were aluminum valve covers from a 1963 Corvette that just say Corvette right across them. And I said, I want the valve covers. And everybody laughed because they knew that I had been sitting here going, you can have that. Yeah, you can have it. I had been so gracious until that moment. <laughs> and I go, they're mine. And they kind of laughed. And they got, so I got two valve covers that say Corvette on them, these wonderful aluminum valve covers. Meant nothing to anybody else. Where are they? They're in my garage. And we're going to do the same thing one of these days. You all come over and bring your grill because we're going to give away all that stuff. Yeah, no, not quite. Linnea is panicking. Um, but here's the thing. As we went through that, when we started, it was painful. But by the time we got done and we were standing outside the garage and all the boys had said, I want this, and it just happened to be boys. There, there was a moment there where he looked around and he smiled. And I, I, I kind of sidled up next to him and I said, Dad, it feels good, doesn't it? He goes, you know, this has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. You know, when God says leave something behind, yeah, there's pain. I'm, I'm not going to kid you because we're letting go of something, maybe a habit that's become an addiction even. And it hurts. Or a relationship that we think we'll die without, but it's necessary. And when we do, there's some freedom that happens and there's joy that is possible there. So let me move on. There's anticipation. When we let go of something, we're anticipating that God is going to create, renew, do something here that he hasn't done before. And then as we let go of that stuff, it feels unfamiliar, so it creates disequilibrium. And we're just not sure. We're not really good on our feet because we have let go of things that kept us up. Things that gave us support that we could lean on. 
Those are all elements of leaving. But here's the blessing of space. Once we do that, once we create space, what is left is much more simple and quiet. You know, noise isn't just about sound. Noise is also about stuff. And I don't just mean physical things. It's all the kind of stuff that we put into our lives and we create our own chaos. And so I just want to remind you that when we create space, we say, Lord, we're making room here. We're letting go of the stuff you want us to let go. We're making simplicity and silence an important thing in our lives. Then as we do that, this anticipation of what God is going to do creates in us hope and possibility. Lord, we hope you're going to do something here and the possibility of it being better than what we were holding on to, that is going to keep us moving forward. And then finally, when we create space with God, we're taking an act of of faith and humility. I believe that what you have for me, Lord, is better than what I've had. I believe that your wisdom is better than my wisdom. I believe that the ways you provide are better than the ways I have provided for myself. And that is a blessing of just making space. Now, I wanted to go on and on about this, but living out in western Kansas, I learned to really appreciate wide open spaces. We in Kansas know about this. I mean, we have a huge sky, and you can see for miles, even when you live in Wichita. And let me tell you, in our lives, it's okay for us to say, Lord, we're just going to clean things out and make this yours. We're not going to push stuff in. You bring stuff in there. So when we are leaving and creating, I want to remind you of this. In order to have something new in our life, it means that we've got to let something old go. Something old has got to go. Jesus talked about this when he talked about wine. And you, some of you are going, pastor's talking about wine. How cool is that? But Jesus said, you know, I want to bring something new. And, you, and he talked about wine. He said, you cannot bring new wines into old wineskins. And there was this physical thing about it. You see, back then they didn't have bottles. And, so, and they didn't have glass. So they, they would stitch together leather and make a skin that held liquid. And when you put wine in there, wine fermented. And fermentation gives off gas. And as it did, that would expand. Now, leather that was old and crusty and had been around for a while had no capacity to expand. So you'd put the wine in, it would ferment and kind of, you know, make room and pow, it would explode. And you would have wine stains all over you. And so Jesus says, you guys know all about this. For some reason, those Jewish people knew a lot about alcohol. Not sure about that. But anyway, they, they, and, and he said, you guys know all about this. You cannot put new wines into old wineskins. You have to make space in a new wineskin. You have to create space that has the capacity to grow and move. It has to have some dimensions of elasticity in your life. Because here's the sense with God, what I'm going to do is far greater than you can imagine. It's far more than you had planned for. 
And you might say, well, I, all I can do is clear this, Pastor Hank. This is the only space I can give to God right now. And I will say, well, if he starts to move in, he's going to be a little bit rude. And he's going to start pushing other things out of your life. That's how he transforms us. And so we give him one area of space and he starts going, you know, I want this too. And this. But as he does it, the beauty of it leads us to a point where we go, okay, keep going. Because I want you more than that. Team, I want you to, uh, worship team, I want you to come up and, and lead us in singing.